turn, if you will, into Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're continuing in our series on the foundational truths to live by, and we're trying to give a sketch, uh, an outline, maybe just skimmy mountaintop truths about who God is. And that is an incredible, remarkable subject, and I just recommend you to some wonderful theology books like uh, Wayne Grudem. MacArthur's just come out with a systematic theology. We, uh, last week, we, I think we sold out on knowing God. There may be some more books in the second service by Packer. And uh, I recommend a book, uh, Trusting God, by Jerry Bridges on the sovereignty. He really does a marvelous study on the sovereignty of God. It will be worth your while to uh, study and have your devotions around who is God. Uh, we usually are always studying our problems and never our solution. We need to look at who our God is. And so I'm just hitting highlights. I'm trying to go through major doctrines. So there, I'm just skimming the surface. I want you to know that and... Uh, you just, I, when I was in seminary, we studied every day for an hour a day plus homework, and it took 18 weeks, and I felt like we just got started because it's a lifetime. It's like this. It's one thing to be looking for gold. It's another thing to find the gold mine. But did you know you can find the gold mine and never find any gold? You got to dig. You gotta search, and that's what Proverbs 2 says. If you want silver, search for it. And if you want wisdom, search for it. Would it be worth your time to study the subject of God? I can't hear you. Are you all that sleep? Come on, we've been pouring coffee in you for an hour. You can say amen. You can grunt. All right? I'm gonna call this the old folks meeting if you don't yell back a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. All right. Look at Romans 1. We'll pick up verse 18, and we'll read down to verse 28. For the wrath of God is being revealed. It's a present tense. It is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress or hold down the truth, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. There are some things about God that I've made plain for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Isn't that interesting? Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, 
God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave them, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. There's three eyes here that may help you to hang this together from verse 18 through Man chose to be ignorant of God. Man chose to choose idols over God. And God gave them over to immorality of every kind. Not just sexual immorality, but he goes on to name 31 other sins against all morality, against everything that God wants man to do. He gave them over so they can do it. And they are doing it full time, 24 hours a day. I want us to focus on God has revealed himself and God has been rejected. And this is the case of human history. This is an interesting point. You often will say, uh, I don't know that person. And you know why you don't know them? They have not revealed themselves. They've not revealed. We, we think we know a person because we judge them by countenance, dress, appearance, uh, or on the job, whatever. And you'll hear the line, you don't know what they're like at home. No, I don't. You don't know what they're like. On the I only know about you what you revealed. And, and some people are very close, very close. Uh, I think Carolyn and I are such opposites. She's a private person and keeps to herself, uh, man, I'm a terrible poker player. I'm just out there. Transparent, tell more than I should, embarrass the family. I, I say too much, see. Uh, but some of you, uh, we know very little because, no, you're not. And men are really that way. Men are guarded. They're just, uh-uh. I don't want to give this guy an advantage. I don't, I don't want to take advantage of me. Women are much more, it seems, open about themselves. It just seems to be that it's easier for me to do a women's Bible study than a men's Bible study as far as interaction because women are much more transparent, it seems, and vulnerable. The men are more, I'm not going to show I don't know the answer. Uh-uh. Say, well, I know you don't know. I know you don't know. But you don't, you got to look cool. You got to look like you know. But you know, and I know, you don't know. <laughs> but, but you don't want to make yourself vulnerable, and that's a part of the male species. It just happens that way. Let's look at four things. Four things. Uh, God has revealed himself, number one. Two, that revelation has been rejected by mankind. That's number two. 
Uh, number three, God has rejected us because we have rejected him. And finally, the wonderful news is God is willing to welcome us back through Jesus Christ. He has not just consumed the race. He's not brought another flood. He still wants to bring back Christ-rejecting, God-rejecting people. What has God revealed about himself? Well, he says in creation, he has revealed, if you notice back here, verse 20, his invisible attributes, he's ex exposed that, and especially his eternal power and his divine nature. So when we look at what God's created, there's some things we could assume. Uh, number one, God is before matter. God is eternal. He, he's been here before time, space, and matter. So we have an eternal being God. Two, uh, he's omnipotent. Uh, it takes power to keep this universe running, to keep planets going, tides synchronized, everything. If we were only off just small degrees, I mean the planets, the sun, the where is the, what holds everything up? According to Colossians 1, Christ holds it all together. What keeps the atoms from just splitting and everything falling apart? They talk about a binding force in creation, binding atoms together. Where is the binding force? It's God. He's omnipotent. He's overseeing everything. You can deduce that just by observing. Well, okay, if that star is huge, if the sun is huge, and the earth, what something bigger than the creation had to have made it. Or, or, you, you don't, doesn't have to. We could erase personal involvement. We could say the Big Bang did it. Uh, we could say uh, molecules came out of a swamp somewhere. Some way, we can go back billions of years as Darwin and the evolutionary model. You got to go back, no personal beginning, no intelligent designer, no creator. Chance plus time equals creation. So you're stuck with explaining it some way. How did we get here? Well, God says it, it, it wouldn't take a, a brain surgeon or a scientist to say something precedes something being created. Something precedes the watch that is at least as intelligent as the watch. Is that fair? Is that a leap of faith? Duh, let's see. I think the watch made itself. I, I, it just seems logical. Or, or you get a Webster's Dictionary and said, there must have been an explosion in the print factory. And out of that explosion came a dictionary. No, no, no. You, your mind, your mind will not buy that. You see, to have order, there must be an orderly creator. To have design, there must be a designer. See, and so God is saying, Hey, I've shown you things about my omniscience. Who was smart enough to invent the human eye? I mean, the dynamics of it. If you're going to the doctor for anything, all these parts of the body, all these years of study, who intricately wove all of this incredible machinery, more complex than any computer, 
just one human being. All this creation and order, the wisdom to have made it. And that's what God tells Job. Job, who made the Leviathan? Who made the snow do what it does? Who made all of uh, the seasons? Who did all that? Who figured it out? Who's the architect? Who coordinated everything? Your beginning. Your weaving in the womb. Think of how many babies are growing in wombs right now. Probably a million. And God is intricately weaving uh, brain capacity, color, texture, all. Who's doing this? God said, I am. I'm behind all creation. And if you observe empirically the creation, he said, I'm trying to give you a message. I am a great God. I'm big, smart, eternal. Goes on, he's infinite. And that simply means he's without limits. There's no limits on God. And sovereign. God's free to do whatever he chooses to do. He does not have to consult anyone. And uh, God, sometimes we're always talking about man as sovereign. No, no, no. Uh, he, he has to ask his wife. <laughs> have you filled out a credit application lately? Uh, friend, you've got to go through a lot of folks to do anything. See? God's had to consult no one, just himself. So those are just uh, a little. Then God has revealed his divine nature, and uh, so that goes on and on. It's a great study for you uh, if you would love to engage in the study of God. What is his nature that is immutable, that is, you know, that is great, that is great. And then, but, you know, there's some things about God in creation you would never know. You can look at the mountains and you can look at the forest and the ocean and you would never know that God loves you. Look, they're all, all day. You know, there's people who say, well, I feel nearer to God when I'm in the forest. Well, uh, that's okay. But how would that tree ever tell you God loves you? God had to send his son to convey that message. Because God said the fullness of God was expressed in the body of Christ. And when Christ came, God brought out into the front other aspects of his nature. He wanted us to know God so loved that he gave a son. And so we discovered the immense depth of the love of God in that he did such a loving thing towards those that hate him and rejected him. He He's shown us his love in Christ. Then he also has shown us that he's a holy God. Why would there ever be a cross for a beloved son? Why the cross? Why the cross? Because God hates anything unlike himself. He's holy. He must judge that unlike himself. And so he said, I'm a holy God, while at the same time I'm a loving God. And you, you keep seeing things, his righteousness, uh, his goodness, his truth, and especially shows his grace and mercy. Titus 3 said, the mercy of God saved us. Mercy of God. Uh, you deserve punishment, but he spared you. That's mercy. Grace. I can never earn it. 
God says, you don't have to. I'll give you something you can't earn. I mean, uh, amazing. God has revealed things. He's revealed everything he wants you to know about him. And believe me, there is thousands of things we don't know about God. I don't know why calamity. I don't know why the storm system. I don't know why some of your kids aren't saved. I don't know why your husband or wife isn't saved. I don't know, I don't know, I don't. But I don't let what I don't know keep me from believing what I do know. God has revealed himself, and I believe that revelation. He's revealed it in creation. He's repeated that in his word. And then of all things, he sends himself in the Lord Jesus. So God uh, has revealed, he's not been silent. He said, well, I don't know God. He said, have you investigated? No. Could you turn off the video game? Could you turn off your phone? Could you fast a week without one tweet? You and Trump just turned it off <laughs> for a week. Could you just cool it and, and investigate? Well, I, I, I don't have time for that. Do you have time to die? Do you, guess what? Every one of you will meet God. That, that, that appointment is automatic. It'd be nice if you knew him. It would be nice to know him. And so God said, I've revealed myself. I've disclosed myself and more than maybe you've ever disclosed yourself to me. God knows everything there is about you, but you don't think he knows it. So we play hide and seek with God. We, we think we can sin and hide, or we do this and hide. What was the first thing that happened to them after the fall? They felt naked, and they made artificial clothing. Had leaves. Why do you feel the need to put a barrier between you and God? I feel the shame for my sin. Guess what happens when you get clean before God? You don't have to emotionally cover up what's wrong with you. You come as you are. Because you're accepted in Christ. That is wonderful. Now, uh, when we think of this revelation of God, how has the human race responded to this revelation? And this is why he says in verse 18, God's wrath uh, is being revealed from heaven. My wife asked me, said, uh, is God wrathful now? Is God angry now? I said, it says so. It's a present tense. God is presently revealing his wrath to the human family. That's scary, but we'll see what that looks like. He said in John 3.36 that if you refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, John 3.36 said you are abiding, you are abiding under the wrath of God. Scary. Ephesians 2 said we all used to be children of wrath. We were, we were facing divine judgment. We were facing divine disfavor. It, it's just what he says. And so he says, God is revealing from heaven his anger, his righteous wrath against the way he's been rejected. He's not passive toward it. You can't just push him off and say, flake off, get out of my life. He said, oh, no, it doesn't work that way. Well, what's the proof? What's the proof that God is uh, displeased with us? 
Well, here's the reason why he is. How have we responded? How have we responded when he, God has disclosed himself? John Powell wrote a book, and he called it, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Have you ever read that book? It used to be a favorite of Rich Rollins. It's a little psychology book, but it goes on the thing, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? The thesis goes this way. Because it's all I've got, and if you reject what I share, I have nothing else to give. Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Because you may reject it, right? And it's all I've got to give. And that's why we're guarded people. Uh, they may not like me if they really know me. They may not want me if they know me. And so we have all these defense mechanisms and all these efforts to look good and to make a good impression because you really wouldn't like me if you knew me. And so here, in response to God, after God has revealed himself in nature and, of course, in Jesus Christ, this is what the human race did in return. Verse 21, we chose not to honor God. We chose not to give him any respect, basically. Uh, we will not honor you as God. I don't want the God that can make the Milky Way. I don't want the God of creation. Matter of fact, I'll cut out that you're there, and I'll put a substitute, and I'll call it science. I'll call it uh, worship the moon, worship the stars, as many civilizations did. I just don't want you. I will not honor you as at least a great God, because now we've got uh, polytheism, many gods. We've got agnosticism that says you can never know this God. He might be there, but you can't know him. We've got atheism that says there is no God. I'll only worship myself. And God says, in other words, you don't want what I am once I reveal who I am. And the human race's reply is, no, we don't. We don't like what we see. What an insult to one's creator. Two, uh, we refuse to give thanks to God, verse 21. He said, we just wouldn't give thanks. Uh, I, if I don't acknowledge him, why should I thank him? They refuse to honor God or give thanks to him. What did we do? We became futile in our thanking. And that word there means we became worthless thinkers. We begin to think upon worthless things. Did you know some people their whole life is spent under the hood of a car and they get a bang out of that? Some guys live their whole life to get out on the golfing green today because that is their life. You see, the sin usually involves making a good thing your God. Taking something good. There's the trick of our sin and our idolatry. We always think of sin as killing and bad and tearing up the town, robbing a bank. No, no, no. In the human structure, we take good things and elevate them to the place of worship. It gets my money, gets my time, gets my thinking. That's your God. Because you're an idolater. 
as long as, and the human heart is an idol-producing factory. What are the hidden gods of your life? And we all have to fight to dismantle those gods. Money's a big one. Pleasure's a big one. Sex is a big one. Power is a big one. You read in 2 Timothy 3, they love pleasure. They love money. They love themselves more than they love God. Those are their idols. That's where they get their worth. That's where they get their worth. He goes on to say, uh, uh, we, we became fools. Any fools in the house? What is a biblical fool? There's four Hebrew words for fool in the book of Proverbs. Ebaleth, Nabal. You remember that? Abigail's husband, Nabal, that outrageous fool. And moronic is the Greek word. Here is a biblical fool. A biblical fool does not lack mental power. It does not mean low IQ. It is not a matter of mental intelligence, but of wrong moral choices. The biblical fool could be plenty smart, math, science, could have education galore. That's not, but make moral decisions that go against God's word and God's wisdom. They're a biblical fool. See, we always think of the verse, call no man fool. Jesus said that, and that's really kind of damning them, belittling them. But I meet, I meet biblical fools all the time. They're outrageously opposed to God. They keep making moral decisions against God's word. They're a biblical fool, and to their own destruction. As you read Proverbs, he's portraying what the wise man and the other wise look like. And so he said here, they became fools. Uh, They got rid of God, and now they don't want to honor him. They don't want to give thanks. They became futile. That's worthless in their mind. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And that means they just can't get any light. Uh, They're so cut off from God that uh, they stumble through life in the dark, and they fall into eternal ruin. And then here's, the, I think, the most tragic thing in this verse. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Just think. I want to worship something, but I don't want to worship you. And so I'm going to go to images, and Isaiah tells about them. They get a tree, they cut it in half, Isaiah 44, and they build a fire with half of it. It must be a cold time. While the craftsman works on the other half of the tree and carves an image that he bows down to. So with half of it, he makes a fire, the other half he worships. And you read Psalms 115 that says, they have gods, but their gods can't see, they can't talk, 
They can't walk. They can't move. They can't hear. But this is their God. And he says something scary. Those who make them begin to resemble them. You will begin to look like the God you worship. You become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. And so people that these various gods in their life, see it moved into the New Testament. He didn't talk about images and idolatry as just an object out here. He said a verse in Colossians that goes this way, 3.5. And remember that covetousness is idolatry. And covetousness is strong desire to grasp and to get something that you're obsessed with getting it, you covet it, you would do most anything to get it, and it results in envy, jealousy, probably unprincipled manner of going after it. Money's an easy thing to illustrate. If you want money so bad, you'll pay any price to get it. The love of money, not money, the love of it makes you fall into many temptations that drown men's soul. So money is not the evil. It's what we do about it. That I covet it. I, co- I got to have it. Got to have it. My worth is based on it. And he said, because you're an idol worshiper. And you, you worship what that money represents in your life. And so he said, we've chose other idols rather than it to be for God. Isn't it a shame to worship a snake instead of God? To worship a piece of wood instead of God? What do you think our culture's worshiping? Sports, maybe? Uh, Money? But they exchange. Just think of this. The creator Almighty, omnipotent, eternal God for something I just made in my wood shop. I made the exchange. I don't want you. I can't buy that stuff. I'm too sophisticated. Give me my own idol, and I'll make one for myself. The absurdity, the insanity, and yet it's what the human race said when we rejected God's revelation of himself, we begin to make substitutes. Man is a worshiping being. He will worship something. Because there's an emptiness in man. If you read the life story of Howard Hughes, if you read the lives of the rich and famous, their money, uh, their massive vacations, I mean, Hughes would just rent you know, the top floor of a hotel could tie it up and be sure no germs get in there. Died a lonely man. Died a haggard man. Died a man unhappy, unhappy, because the void cannot be filled by anything in all creation. Only the creator can fill the heart of that which he created. And if not, in the void and the vacuum, you'll try a thousand alternatives that will leave you empty. That will leave you empty. And what does Ecclesiastes say? Man is chasing the wind all of his life. 
If I can just get this, if I can get that, if I can get more of that, if I can have more of that, more money, more people, more property, more, more, more. Why? Why? And then what does he say with us? Once you've come to Jesus, there is a rest and a contentment. I have found all that my soul longed for. Jesus is enough. Now, if you can't say that, you're an idol worshiper. You've got something else that you've added to Jesus, and that's an insult to God. Listen to what God does to people who reject him. You see, it goes this way. God evicted us from the Garden of Eden because we rebelled. So the divine owner of the property evicted us, and we've been in exile ever since. Guess what man has done? We've turned around and evicted God and get out of this universe. Who said you're welcome? You're not welcome in your universe. Get out. You kicked me out, I'm kicking you out. I'm a philosophy major that has exchanged uh, lies for the truth there is a God. We're in charge, you're evicted. You're not allowed in legislation, you're not allowed in government, you're not allowed in our home, you're not allowed in the media. Get out of here. And God says, well, I've heard you loud and clear. This is what I'm going to do in response. Three things. Verse 24, 26, 28, the divine response. In verse 24, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. Now, I need to make a, something clear here. God does not give up on the human race, but the word there is, he gave them over. He gave them over. You don't want me? I want to give you over to lust. You can't imagine what you'll wind up doing. Then, in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. And we don't know what to do with sex. We don't know which bathroom to go to. We don't know if it's same-sex marriage. Uh, we don't know, is it normal to be a gay, lesbian, heterosexual? What, what do we do with sex? It is amazing. What you think about God will determine what you do with sex. Because sex involves your body. And when the creator made the body and he made norms, we don't know any of those norms which our mind becomes futile and we think of worthless things. And I just think of our culture. What a culture. I mean, we're facing world hunger in many countries. We're facing war in many places. Homes are in trouble. And we're debating gender. They just had a, a program on the news the other night trying to make all the toys gender neutral. We can't have a toy. We can't have a Barbie doll. That's femininity. We've got to get a unisex. We can't have a boy-girl bathroom. Just go in there because a gender does not make any difference. Oh, it doesn't. Huh? When did we get into such absurd, obnoxious, stupid thinking? that it takes up the national political scene and we've got legislators badly to determine what bathroom I go to. 
I mean, are you aware that you're in sophisticated America? This isn't being de debated in the Bush country. This is being debated in cultural centers. God's giving us up. I'm going to let you become futile and worthless and do the absurd. And, and then over here, we're having the gay parade today in San Francisco. And many lonely, distraught, confused men and women celebrating they've come out. Well, God says, it's not a blessing. I'm going to give you over to do what was never imagined from the beginning. 28, they did not want to acknowledge God. God says, I'm going to turn your mind over to being debased. And it's the word disapproved. Disapproved. Now, I think this is a rather gloomy story. God kicks us out. We've kicked him out. God's given us over. So there must be no hope. When did this start, this God being angry? Verse 18, when did that start? When did men start being ungodly? When did they start suppressing the truth? Is this a 20th century phenomenon? Started all the way back in Genesis 4 when Cain did not want to acknowledge God. And so ever since Genesis 4, this has been going on. All right, Paul, all right, all right. The, the world's in a mess. Is that all you've got to say? Uh, I want you to just read why he wrote the book. Verse 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the good news, which is how a person can be right with God through Jesus Christ alone. The gospel is how you can be right with God through Jesus Christ alone, okay? That's the message of the gospel. I don't want you, I'm not ashamed of it, for in that message is God's power to save, to bring salvation to everyone who believes. It, it works for the Jew. It works for the Greek or the Gentile. For in it, the gospel, a righteousness is the idea. A righteousness from God is being revealed. It's received by faith unto faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God says, I want you, Paul, to preach to the Gentile world that has rejected me, to the Jewish world that's rejected me, that I've turned over to vile lust, vile sins. I want you to preach this gospel to them. I've got good news. Even though I've given you over to your sin, I've sent Christ to rescue you from sin. All you need to do is return to me. Believe in me. And I will save you. My power will rescue you from the cesspool you have found yourself in. That's the gospel. That's what we share with kids all week. It's what we ought to be sharing with people all the time. The gospel is the only thing that will save this culture and save one person at a time. I'm sending you, Paul, to this kind of world. Don't be shocked at the Bay Area. It's just like Romans 1. And guess what? Romans 1 is nearly 2,000 years old. 
Romans, about 55 A.D. The Bay Area is no worse than Rome, right? No worse than Greece. The thing we need, I just heard today, one of our brothers was sharing two local churches in our area closing their doors. Lack of attendance, lack of interest, whatever. And we grieved as those men prayed. We don't need fewer churches. We need more preaching Christ. Preaching Christ. Pray and encourage any churches in this area that are preaching Christ. We are not competing. We want to pray for them, encourage them. God bless your work wherever it's going on in the world and in our Bay Area. Are you a gospel conveyor? Do you have any good news for a crazy world? Well, Paul did. I'm not ashamed to tell you the gospel. It's the only way that a race that's been exiled from God and a race that's been turned over by God to sin. Don't be shocked that sinners love to sin. Be shocked that God loves sinners and God sent his son to save sinners and we're on a mission field to reach sinners with Christ. Amen? And I know you're praying that your next door neighbor will be a Christian, but may God send you a good pagan that you may be able to lead to the Lord. Isn't that what you've been praying for? Now, I don't want them to get drunk too late at night. I, don't want, I want to be real quiet. I'm praying for some neighbors of mine. I want them to be saved. I just have one of my neighbors just had me do the funeral for his wife. Never had a chance to share the gospel. Another man said, you know what? Uh, at the funeral, he said, I want you to do my funeral. I'm planning to make an appointment. I don't want to do my funeral until I know where you're going. And that you've got to settle now. We can't settle it at the funeral, right? So are you a gospel bearer? Do you invite anybody to church with you? And did you tell them, besides donuts, we have the gospel. We have Christ. We have a loving community of people that loves children, that loves people, that I don't care what color, what race. Richard Armstrong is saying, I remember when I came, I felt like the only black man in this church. Well, ever since then, they're taking over. <laughs> taking over. I mean, I want to read the names of all of our grads. I cannot say all the names because of the diversity, God. Because all the human race, the good news is he saves despite color, class, ethnicity. He loves people. He loves the world. He loves you. And if you're here with a void in your heart, there's one thing that will settle that. Believing that God loved you enough to send his son. He, you know what? God has done his best to save you. He's done, and Jesus is God's best. He wants to save you. If you want him, why don't you pray to receive him? Right there, you can do that in your heart. I receive you, Lord Jesus Christ. I do, as VBS said, I will follow Christ. I want to go from my sin. I want to go from my chains. I want to go to following Christ. If you're such a person, we're so glad you're here. We pray we'll be God's means of loving you and showing you there's hope, there's a way you can have eternal life. Our Father, I pray for any and all who may be here without Christ that you would penetrate their heart, 
of the way back, that through Jesus Christ, the God that we've been exiled from through our sin, through our rebellion, we can return to. And I pray for every child of God among us that we will be truth gospel bearers. Let us not just be doom and gloom and tell everybody how bad it is, but maybe we tell them the good news. Oh, how this world is craving good news that's not a lie. The good news that God has sent Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sins, not just to give us over to it, but now to rescue us us from it. Please, may no one who's listening today die without knowing Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. So glad you're here.